Welcome to episode 49 of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to preview the Cure Bowl matchup against Troy. Let's get started. Before we get into the game preview, we got to talk about all of the big news that happened this week. Okay. First and foremost, Frank Harris made his highly anticipated announcement that he was coming back for his seventh season. And for those of you who are con- questioning how it is that he has those that many seasons, he had... 2017 where he redshirted, 2018 when he was injured. So he was able to get a a medical redshirt for the 2018 season. Um, And then he played 2019, 2020, he got back because of COVID. So that's where those extra years of eligibility kind of come into play. But again, he makes his announcement that he's coming back. Also during that same announcement was the announcement about the City Fans NIL Collective that was being put together hoping to raise several million dollars for UTSA athletic players. Obviously, Frank is going to be one of the big recipients, allegedly a, a six-figure deal coming out of that collective, which you know altogether helped him to make his decision in part to come back to UTSA. You know, we joked last week um, on the podcast about what this press conference might look like. Um, I had said, you know, it might be something... LeBron James-ish with, um, you know, the Boys and Girls Club in the background, and I don't know that was very far off from that. It was kind of an interesting sort of uh, press conference that was put together. Well, (laughs) I didn't appreciate PR staff until I actually saw this presser, and I was like, wow, they really needed PR staff to help them with this, because, you know, I found a few flaws to it. I mean, first of all, the flow is kind of weird. All of a sudden, it starts out with, like, this... Pearl Harbor reference, and I, I get it was Pearl Harbor Day, but... To, yeah, it was kind of an odd sort of reference when you're, <laughs> it, you know, almost kind of darkened the mood, and then Frank's all standing in the back and wearing black and nothing UTSA. It was like, oh, okay, is this, where's this going? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it probably freaked out some fans, maybe if they're just kind of looking in on this stuff, but, you know, even to that, it was like, why are we starting with that? I get it's Pearl Harbor Day, but what does that have to do with announcing this collective for, <laughs> for, for athletes? I mean, it just... There was really no tie-in except for, yeah, this is what today is. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it just seemed like there was, you know, hot mic still going on. And there was some, you know, talk. And, you know, there was other pieces where you're just kind of scratching your head and going, this could have been much more well-organized. And I more think... More dramatic, for, maybe. Well, that's too. But I think in terms of organization, think about it this way. You know, you want to come off as, you know, being polished in what you're going to offer. And... You know, doesn't it give like some of the UTSA athletes some little bit of hesitancy, even though they hear this big number that's being thrown out there? You know, the fact that they're kind of fumbling through things, they're just kind of throwing all sorts of stuff out. It, it just to me first said, oh yeah, we know what this money amount's going to be, so let's just announce this. How we're going to get there is a totally different story, and that kind of I don't know. It, it struck me kind of weird. What about you? Yeah, it it did seem coming from an advertising agency. It seemed like it was a little bit um, maybe thrown together last minute. And they probably didn't anticipate how much press they were really going to have outside of the city. I mean, there were people tweeting about Frank Harris, you know, staying that are national news reporters. You know, there's people like, you know, Brett McMurphy covering it. There's references in the um, athletic, you know. This was not just a local San Antonio story. This was something that was probably carried more prominently than most G5 
quarterback super senior announcements, you know, have been in the past or maybe in the future. And, you know, I think that's my point here is like, you know, you, you got to be a little bit more polished. You've got to be, you've got to have everything kind of put together and especially coming from, you know, this advertising firm, it just, you know, again, scratches your head a little bit, but even to that, you've already kind of referenced it. Why not a little bit more drama? Yeah. Like it felt like you, why, why did they have Frank announce it so early? Like they could have done a few different things and then like brought him up and, you know, then it would have kind of been like this, okay, well they brought up, you know, <laughs> for a Harbor, they're talking about UTSA athletes in general getting this NIL, but they haven't mentioned Frank at all. They haven't done any of this. There could have been some suspenseful moments. And I, I know that would probably would have driven UTSA fans kind of crazy. However, that's what this is all about, right? Like you had the same thing when you brought up your whole thing about, you know, the LeBron's decision. There was drama to it, right? Like well, there's this you, whole thing building to it. Feel like in some extent, Frank deserves some of that, you know, drama. Right. This was about him, <laughs> right. you know, first and foremost, and his announcement. And I kind of felt like in some ways it didn't really, you know, do him justice. I think that's perfectly summarized. I think that's why it bugged me so much at times because it just it felt like you could have gotten that drama aspect and the suspense and it'd have been like, ah, great. And we, the way we talked about it last week too, you know, I, I gave the whole West Wing reference. There was drama building to that too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you kind of know that he was going to run for a re-election. You kind of know that Frank's probably going to come back, but why not give us that little suspense? And you're like, as it was, I guess, you know, <laughs> how he was clothed was essentially a little bit of a kind of, it was felt ominous. However, play into that you know like let's play into that some more so yeah he he certainly deserves it but i think the next thing i want to talk about though is the fact that he said that he had an offer for a p5 which was in the seven figures and i guess i kind of scratched my head because it felt like an uh, it felt like why pass that up if that's what you're doing because it felt like this is this whole collective over here plus whatever other nil money he has is in the lower six figures so there's quite a disparity. Yeah, there in terms of money. So to me, well, you know, you could talk about why is it that he did, you know, it's because he loves San Antonio, blah, blah. I think it starts giving you a better outlook in terms of what his post UTSA career is going to look like. Because, you know, he talked about, you know, kind of, I would say he was a little down about the way he would bring up the NFL draft grade. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, clearly he was disappointed by whatever it came out with. I think that's what gives us that clue of he kind of, I think, understands what some of us have seen is that he's not a starting NFL quarterback. He might be like at best a third round, uh, I would say a third string one, maybe even a practice guy. And considering all the injuries he's been through, considering you know everything he's done to get to the point where he's at, how you know? I think getting that draft grade probably tells them, I've got so much more to go, and how much more effort do you want to put in that and putting your body through that? Right. So, again, I, I think that that's why I also questioned why he didn't go ahead and take that seven figure because that's going to be money that you probably aren't ever going to be able to quickly get, mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about NFL, especially in you know this draft grade that he's talked about. So, I'll just say this: I. I I think as us fans, we want the best for him, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, for me going into this, it didn't matter to me whether he stayed or went, you know, obviously you get a little more excited and a little more optimistic about your season next season with, you know, with him at quarterback, but you also understand after everything I've said about the injuries and, 
you know, maybe this draft stock, that it's not really going to all kind of blossom to what he really wanted. But that doesn't deter from the fact that he's been a fantastic college yeah. quarterback. So, I mean, you just want him to do what's best for him. And right. glad glad that he chose UTSA, you know, to be the place where he finishes out his college career. Absolutely, because he now has, he has to stand all by himself in terms of UTSA, Mount Rushmore type goat right. standings, right? So... All right, the other thing that came out this week right before the press conference was the Conference USA Awards. We'll get into a lot of this detail when we do our season recap, but big news, no surprise, Frank was named MVP of Conference USA. (laughs) Right. Also, no surprise, Trailer was named Coach of the Year from Conference USA. The one that was a bit of a surprise was that Kavorian Barnes was named Freshman of the Year. Not the surprise that he got named that, but given the fact that he really didn't start playing significant minutes until the second half of the season, it's pretty impressive that you know he was able to get this award having you know less than a full season worth of um, game play, play under his belt. Well, we have to remember the fact that it started with FIU, so it, it only takes in the conference games. Right, that's true. And he really shined during conference. And I think what's more, I think where you were going to probably get to is the fact that he didn't really start, or his first start wasn't until the championship game. So right, exactly. that's even more remarkable, the fact that he hasn't started and he's put together some really good games. And, you know, look at where he's at. So obviously terrific um, because it's surely, once again, you know, with – Frank obviously coming back. You have Kavorian, who's a redshirt freshman, coming back as well. It's all lining up for some optimism going into AAC next season. Yep, absolutely. So added to that, we had six players on the first team, five players on second team, 16 honorable mention, and three all-freshmen. So overall, just really great results for UTSA. I know some of the kids were a little disappointed by being honorable mention versus first or second team. But at the end of the day, the amount of awards that we had, you know, for UTSA in general was historic um, and just very impressive. A great way to say bye to the league, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sweep up some more awards. All right. So we ended the week with our Rowdy River Rally Parade. Very San Antonio way to celebrate (laughs) our championships. Uh, But it was really great to see both soccer and football um, get recognized at this river parade. And it was great to see how many people really turned out. Um, Arneson River Theater was packed with UTSA fans. There had been a school that was there before that had you know kids singing or whatever. And they were having to really fight their way out because the UTSA fans were <laughs> fighting their way in at the same time. With the beer bottles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on the parade? The big smiles from both from uh, both teams, you know, you, you had the soccer team kind of come up first in terms of on one of the barges and, you know, the smiles from all the ladies, uh, just that excitement that they had, obviously get a, like you said, getting a chance to celebrate both teams, but just, I think it was just fantastic just to see the, just to see how happy they were, um, to also know that there's just people out there that appreciate what they did as well as the football team. It was a, I think the when you were talking about you know how San Antonio the celebration was, it was hilarious because there's like just random river barges going through yeah. with like random people <laughs> on it with like doing their Christmas parties or just just taking Having that dinner, Christmas stroll. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it was um, it, it it was certainly uh, hilarious and uh, you know. <laughs> 
some of the barges embraced it more than others. I mean, there were some that were standing up and, you know, taking pictures of the crowd and just having a great time. And there were others that looked very um, shell-shocked by what they just floated through. I'm sure it was overwhelming to all of a sudden see all these people thinking that there's like, you know, UTSA athletes coming in. There wasn't. It's just a whole bunch of people like just yelling at them and they're like, ah. <laughs> but um, no, uh, I will say your boy over here got a, got a little sound clip on one of the TV stations. Yeah, I walk so off I'm... for a minute to say hi to somebody and the next thing you know, I look up and he's being interviewed on camera. This is what happens when Atos leaves me unsupervised. Apparently. Um, you know, I was looking down at my phone. I was, I think I was texting someone and this camera operator comes over and pretty much says, hey, I, I need a sound bite from someone. You're a UTSA fan. Um, I need a sound bite. And I was like, oh, what gave me away? I was wearing a UTSA polo. So he kind of chuckled. And then I was like, yeah, sure. I swear. I swear to everybody. I thought he said sound check. I don't know why that's what I was, it translated in my mind. So then I had, when he said, I'll get you around 6.30 and we'll, we'll go and we'll, I'll ask you the questions. And I was like, wait, what? Like I, that wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Then I was like, I'll embrace it and just go for it. But, um, yeah, no, it, they used my worst quote <laughs> on TV. Um, of course. And you know, I, if you saw it, great. If you didn't. Uh, let me tell you, you didn't miss much. I think I'm much more entertaining on the podcast. So. <laughs> uh, it's um, It was fun overall, though. I think it was, you know, seeing everybody kind of come together um, and seeing all the recruits. The recruits seemed, they all had, like, phones on, and they were just, yeah. like, filming every single fan. And so it maybe it set the standard for something on one hand, but on the other hand, it was cool to see a lot of them wide-eyed because yeah. they were like, It has to be a pretty cool cow. experience, <laughs> particularly if those recruits, I mean, I didn't look at where they all came from, but if they're not from the San Antonio area, it had to have been a pretty interesting experience to come into Arneson River Theater with your parents, you know, watching this big river parade and everybody cheering and excited. And so, you know, hopefully that was something that keeps them engaged in the program and makes them want to be a part of this next year. It'd be hard not to because I got to tell you, I think the parents maybe were a little more excited than the kids at some points. But, I, you know, as a high school kid, do you think about it? You're like, I don't really want to stand out in a crowd at times. I mm -hmm. want to just fit in with the crowd. And to have everybody kind of looking at you going, oh, these are recruits. And, you know, kind of whispering as you walk by. I'm sure they're like, I'd rather be somewhere else. And their parents are just like smiling, going, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. Like, I did hear plenty of parents are like, this is so cool. Like, I can't believe we got a chance to do this. So, uh, yeah, and, fun times overall, I would say. And, of course, the, the quote of the night was from President Amy's wife, where she said, <laughs> you know, thank you for whipping the mean green. So it was great. What a lady. What a lady. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into talking about the game. We'll start off with UTSA. We're recording on Sunday, so we don't know exactly what the depth chart is going to look like just yet. Although after practice, when Trailer was interviewed on Friday, he indicated that the depth chart should be very similar to what we saw in the championship game. He did confirm that there are no opt-outs at this point, um, and he didn't anticipate any opt-outs. There are obviously some super seniors or some seniors who have not announced whether they'll return for their super senior season, but he seemed to indicate that he expected those players to play regardless of what they end up doing next year. 
Um, the other good news he said was that there were no new injuries. He said if there were any new injuries on the depth chart, it would be more related to people who were coming back um, because maybe they were healthy enough to play this time. So certainly good news. But the one yeah. looming question still is the academics. You know, last year, uh, Trailer said he didn't anticipate that there were going to be that many concerns with academics going into the bowl game. He certainly isn't anticipating any this time either, but, you know, we may start to hear a few names trickle out if we have some um, academic issues this year. Um, And of course, the other big news was with Will Stein leaving to go to Oregon, Justin Burke has been named co-offensive coordinator, um, and Trailer did confirm that he would be play calling for the game. So just interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, I... It, while it's offensive coordinator, he also said that the special teams was going to be done by a group, I guess. And since you're an Iowa State fan, it kind of just harkens to some bad memories with Iowa State where they decided that they didn't need a special teams coordinator. And yeah. I, didn't, I don't think they've ever hired a special teams coordinator. And because of it, you've seen issues with their special teams, especially like on punt returns, on kickoff returns. Yeah. They've had plenty of issues there. Now, I will say that at least with UTSA, you're talking about one game. It's it's totally different if it's, you know, a whole season like Iowa State has been doing. But, you know, you still kind of scratch your head a little bit to go, can't, isn't there somebody else that could potentially coordinate this? Now, because yeah, even doing, just as an interim or something, to have that one point of contact. And maybe there will be somebody that kind of is taking the lead that we just don't know about. And maybe he didn't want to name him. At least that's the hope. Right. And, you know, it seems, I think, probably just minor and I just bring it up because of the fact that <laughs> the bad history that yeah. Iowa State has had without a, a special teams coordinator so um, other than that I mean I think it'll be interesting to see Justin Burke and how he calls the game because one of the things that we'll get into the preview is how does he get Frank in rhythm how does he call a game uh, you know I know the trailer has talked about the fact that Justin Burke has called plays but the question always is to me when he always says blanket statements like that is but how involved were they? Like, yeah. was Justin Burke the one saying, yeah, no, let's go with, you know, this pass. And he's the one making this, the decision. Then you just kind of start kind of scratching your head going, well, then what did Will Stein do? Because yeah. Will Stein just got a huge contract to Oregon because he clearly was the play caller and, you know, designed some really beautiful plays. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it'll probably be interesting just to see just that rhythm and just that tone of how he goes about it was interesting here to hear Trailer say that Justin Burke and Will Stein are the ones who taught him this kind of West Coast offense. So that was sort of interesting as well. Yeah, and I mean, I again, I've been a big advocate for having that West Coast type of offense for Frank because I think that Frank really fits that. And I think that that's something that some of those concepts are what made Frank, well, are one of the many things this year that made Frank so successful. Right. But Certainly, I think that it's going to be, you know, again, interesting just to see how they go ahead and kind of patch things together. Um, And is it a huge deal? Probably not. I think Frank's just going to be Frank. So, you know, he's got really good control of this offense. So I don't know that this is as much of a disruptor, Uh, but you never know. I mean, we could be coming back here, you know, a week later and saying, Wow, that was a really badly called game. <laughs> oh. All right, let's get into Troy. All right, so 
Look, I dove into Troy a little bit too much uh, because, you know, I'm a sicko and um, that's just what I do. And because of the fact that I had pretty much a week to do so, I mean, we've also seen some games with them. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, like, act like we haven't seen them play. You know, uh, we've talked about the fact that we're sickos in terms of college football. Like, we will watch just about any college football um, that's being shown. So, in terms of Troy, they're quite similar to UTSA. I would say, though, they're quite similar to UTSA from, like, 2020, where they kind of leaned on their defense mm-hmm. uh, and, and the running game. And I would go as far as go 2020-2021 UTSA, because that was more of leaning on Sincere, kind of letting him be uh, the offense. And that's kind of what you got with with uh, Troy. However, there's similarities this year as well, because they're 11-2, and just like UTSA. They're on a 10-game winning streak, just like UTSA. Obviously, won the Sun Belt. Yep. Won their conference title by blowing out their opponent, much like UTSA did. They did lose to a P5 team in Ole Miss, much like UTSA. <laughs> and then they lost to, at the time, what was a top G5 team in App State. It was a conference game for them, but they still, you know, to the time, App State was kind of hanging up there because they had, you know, beaten A&M. Yeah. So similarities. One that's not, though, is the fact that they're coached by John Summerall, who's in his first year. He's a defensive coordinator, or was a defensive coordinator for Kentucky, and you know, kind of has some ties over here to Troy. And you know, I, I think he did a really good job of coaching this team, and I think organizing organizing them much better. And that's really what I found as I kind of went through their previews and then kind of watched them on on the field. They looked like they were much cleaner than they had been the year before. Yeah, and Jeff Trailer also worked with the offensive coordinator at Troy back when they were at SMU. Maybe at Arkansas as well, but definitely at SMU. Right, and I was lastly just going to say that they look cleaner after, much kind of like UTSA, look cleaner with Trailer after the Wilson era. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seems like, look, here you make some you know, some changes in terms of coaching, and you kind of clean a few things up, and now things kind of flow smoother. This is sort of, a, it's kind of interesting, because it opened up as a sort of a pick game, and now it's like Troy is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Which is interesting um, because of the fact that I didn't think that Troy was going to be that strong. I mean, this is about as evenly matched of a game, I think, that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to, you know, other podcasters, sports announcers, you know, talk about Troy and UTSA, it really comes down to Troy's defense versus UTSA's offense, you know, and their strength is their defense, our strength is our offense. So it's kind of an interesting matchup between those two. That's a good point. Um, but first, let's start with that Troy offense. Their strength is the run game, and they're they're a pass team second, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, normally in, normally in this time of you know college football, you see more of pass first type teams. Mm-hmm. This is not the case with them. Uh, they want to win that time of possession. Uh, so they're just going to really want to run the ball, and they're just going to want to pound it on you. Again, remember the 2020-2021 UTSA teams that were p- about pounding the ball. Now, one of the things that they did against Coastal Carolina in the SBC title game was the fact that Coastal Carolina kept bringing their safeties down um, to help against the run, and they really went after and attacked those safeties. Uh, with some play action and then forcing them to cover some of the tight ends and then also some wide receivers. And I think they're going to probably try to do the same thing if UTSA 
drops Chapman and Kelechi down into the box to try to help stop the run. That, I think, is going to be a key. What What is the UTSA defense do? And I really think that UTSA's defense really is stronger than this offense. But let's go through the, their offense a little bit more. Their quarterbacks are Jared Dagey's their backup. Familiar name. He's a West Virginia. He actually had gone to Western Kentucky. Did not get that job. So then he transferred right before the season to Troy. However, he's the, their backup. <clears throat> he had a fine season playing in about seven games. You know, completed about 68.8% of his passes. Uh, threw five touchdowns, three interceptions. Nothing spectacular. Now their starter is Gunnar Watson. 12 games, completed about 61.9% of his passes. He threw about 2,700 yards. And he had 13 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. He's a solid quarterback, but he's not who they want winning the game for them. Contrast that to UTSA, where Frank is everything. Frank runs, Frank throws, Frank conducts this offense to probably one of the highest levels that you can find in G5, and I would say even in college football. Yeah, and you're certainly not going to see Gunnar Watson running. All of his run stats this year are negative. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the, I, right now, that I think to bring out for this UTSA defense is that you're talking about a statue being back there. It's much like an Austin Ani type that's more of a statue back there and is not going to scramble around. It's not going to try to, like, you know, make big plays. He may rush once or twice here or there, but those rushers are just going to be trying to probably avoid sacks. Okay. Um, let's get to the running backs because I think this is where they make their make their money sort of. Bit, sort of. Um, their super senior running back is DK Billingsley. Um, he's run for about 60, 656 yards, eight touchdowns. He's caught only four passes. He doesn't really. He's not really the pass catcher of the two, but. He does put up about 4.9 yards per rush. So that is something to keep him, keep an eye on. Now, Kamani Vidal is their sophomore running back. This guy, while not spectacular, is a workhorse in the typical sense of a running back workhorse. He's rushed for 1,059 yards, 5.1 yards per rush. He's got nine touchdowns. He catches the ball out of the backfield. 24 catches for 133 yards. About 5.5 yards per catch. He made a couple of spectacular catches in a few games that I, you know, kind of skimmed through where the ball was placed well behind him and yet he was able to kind of tip it to himself and catch it and then essentially make a nice play out of out of that reception. So first of all, that tells you that Gunnar Watson can be a little shaky in terms of his accuracy. But second of all, also tells you that Vidal has some athleticism. So it's certainly somebody to watch out for. Now, the wide receivers and tight ends, their tight ends are really unspectacular, even though they have tight ends on the squad, whereas you have like an Oscar or, you know, a Dan Dishman that can do some damage for UTSA. None of their guys catch passes. And they're if they more blocking do, tight ends. Yeah, and if they do, you're talking about they might have either like a five-yard catch or it's like a 30-yard catch. There's really no in-between. So got to keep an eye on those guys. But there's nobody really to call out. Their star wide receivers, Tez Johnson, 52 catches for 823 yards, only four touchdowns though. He's a really pesky wide receiver. He just seems to find a way to get open. Kind of reminds me of the wide receiver from San Diego State last season that just found a way to get open and just really terrorized this UTSA defense. He's only 5'10", though, so this will be kind of an interesting matchup. I think that Corey Mayfield probably matches up against him. Mm -hmm. um, I, I doubt that Nick Troy would be the one that go after him because uh, I think Nick Troy 
even Ken Robinson are going to match up with one of these next two receivers. First one I'm going to mention is Deshaun Stoudemire. He's about 6'1". He's caught 38 passes, two touchdowns. Uh, I didn't really see a lot of game-breaking from him, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that he can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's just how... I don't know that he's got those abilities to get away from cornerbacks like like potentially Taz Johnson. Your other one is Rajay Johnson Sanders. This dude's 6'4". So it's he's kind of built to me like... I guess I would say a little like JT Clark, mm-hmm. tall guy, kind of big strides. He's caught 34 passes for 672 yards, but he's got six touchdowns. This is the guy that Gunnar Watson looks for when he's in the red zone, when you know he's looking for a big play. So that's something or someone that this UTSA defense is going to need to look out for. Yeah, and he had a pretty impressive one-handed catch, I think, in their conference championship game. Yeah, and... That's why I would say he's going to be the one that you're going to have to watch. And, you know, it puts pressure on you, right? Like, what are you going to choose to do? Is Lep going to go ahead and try to stop the run at all costs like he did against Army, like he did against North Texas earlier in the season, and give up all of this passing? Certainly something to think about as we go through this. Last thing we want to go over is the offensive line. Overall, they're okay. They're graded badly in PFF, though. It's not a very good offensive line. But I don't think that that Sunbelt conference is as good as everybody believes it to be you have a good a few good upsets and everybody all of a sudden's like oh the fun belt it's it's the best conference you know best g5 it's really not it's okay i would i would say it's probably a slice above conference usa but it's not really saying too much they've given up 40 sacks this year which ranks 110th in the ncaa contrast that to utsa it's only given up 24 now obviously the Differences in quarterback, right? Frank can scramble around, whereas you got Gunnar Watson, who's just a statue, and Jared Daigie, who's also a statue. That that really kind of changes some things. One thing um, I meant to mention before on Rajay Johnson, um, fan, UTSA fans might remember him. He used to play at UAB. He wasn't really as involved, so his stats aren't that impressive, but he was on the UAB squad 20 and 21, so somewhat nice. of a familiar face. <clears throat> so let's go to the defense side. This is, again, you talked about, this is their bread and butter. This is what Troy is about because it's quite strong. They only allow 17.5 points per game and 325.3 yards per game. One key stat, though, is they're ranked 16th overall in the NCAA in pass efficiency defense. So what does that mean? It's a really complicated formula where they put together to try to figure out, like, how this, how do you, how many interceptions do you get? You know, do you have an opportunity for an interception? What kind of receptions, you know, are caught against you? You know, factors in all sorts of pieces of the pass game. UAB was ranked 18th, just as a sort of point of reference. Remember what UTSA did against UAB? Might be similar here against Troy. If you're looking at this Troy defense overall, (laughs) they're on a six-game forced turnover streak where they've gotten a turnover in six straight games. Wow. UTSA defense, though, is on a seven-game streak. Here's a more impressive fact about UTSA. All seven of those games, they've gotten an interception. (laughs) So, fun fact for you guys, but also something to think about with these two defenses because both are quite athletic and quite, I'd say, pretty aggressive. So, something to look out for. If you're going to look for anything that's a weakness for Troy defense, it's that they allow 53.8 conversion on fourth downs. Hey, you know who tries fourth downs a lot? 
Jeff Trailer. Yep. <laughs> the Riverboat Gambler Jeff Trailer is probably going to be licking his chops at this because I think he's going to be um, really looking for an opportunity to take advantage of what this Troy defense can and can't do. Their defensive line causes all sorts of havoc. So that's going to be something that they're going to watch out for. Because to me, this is where their strength is. This is where all of their pass rushing comes from. Their defensive ends, TJ Jackson and Richard Jubiner, lead the team in sacks with eight and seven respectively. These guys are a menace. So it's kind of a good thing, I think, that UTSA has their offensive line healthy-ish. Yeah. As opposed to where it was earlier in the season. Um, Richard Jubiner gets stood up on the line a lot. I think it, they try to take advantage of some of his athleticism um, because it because if he's standing up, that means that he's like really trying to scan the field and it gives him a chance to kind of, you know, if he's going up against a scrambling quarterback, Frank, then it gives him an opportunity to potentially chase him more to the sideline. It gives him a, sort of a step up. So that's just something to look out for. He likes to rush from, it would be Frank's left side. So that's really his, he'll be able to see Jubiner because, um, it's not where he's going to be really more concerned. I think it was TJ Jackson who's going to be coming from his backside. Mm-hmm. Their linebackers are led by Carlton Marshall. Now, Carlton Marshall is something somebody that is actually pretty unique. He's a very good linebacker. He's athletic. He's aggressive. He's got 564 tackles for his career. That ranks number one overall in FBS all time. Wow. Quite impressive. He's not a guy that misses tackles. Hence why he's made so many tackles. So that's going to be one thing to look out for in terms of Marshall. If he's getting a bunch of tackles, making a bunch of plays, he's going to make them because he doesn't miss. Um, his, I think it was on his uh, PFF score, he only misses like 9% of his tackle opportunities. So uh, that's, that's certainly a great statistic to kind of bring along with you. I want to call out these secondary names because I think that they're going to be pretty pretty key, I think, in this match, especially with the UTSA passing game. Safety Marquise Colvin, cornerback Reddy Stewart, and cornerback Kyle Cass. Tough, physical corners, but they're also quite athletic. I mean, these are definitely one of the one of the better secondaries that UTSA is going to face. So, you know, something to think about as we start talking about UTSA and their pass, passing game as we move forward here. So, what are going to be those keys to victory? At least on the UTSA offensive side, you know, I think they're going to have to feed Kavorian. Yeah, I think they're going to need him to chew up some yards on the ground and mm-hmm. keep keep that defensive line, I would say, honest and keep them from really um, bull rushing and getting to Frank as much as they can because you know this offensive line, I think, while talented, um, is going to have some struggles against this defensive line. I also think they need to utilize the t- tight ends of the pass game and not the rushing game. We don't want them blocking too much. I want them to see them really challenge these linebackers. More importantly, challenge Marshall and trying to get him to cover some of these, you know, try to cover Oscar or even try to cover Dan in the, you know, out in the uh, passing game. I think he was going to probably have a little bit more trouble doing so. And in that, you take away a guy from the line of scrimmage and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Frank gets a few more scrambles here or there. On the defensive side, we want to pressure Gunnar Watson. Why? I talked about this whole turnover um, streak that UTSA is on. But Gunnar Watson, not the most careful guy with the ball. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to his stats, 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So he has almost as many interceptions as he does touchdown passes. Jared Dagey has five touchdowns, three interceptions. Like yeah. These guys 
and these guys aren't really careful with the ball. So that is something that you can really circle because you know who is careful with the ball? UTSA. UTSA doesn't really turn the ball over, thanks to Frank. But, you know, something that I think this UTSA defense can really take advantage of. Um, the other thing is they got to stop this Troy running game because otherwise you're going to start chewing up off the clock. And if mm-hmm. they do so, they can get Troy off the field. And this is not an explosive offense. This isn't one that can afford really, in my opinion, to get into a shootout with UTSA. If the shootout starts happening, I feel like Troy is going to just be in trouble because that defense, I don't think, can really keep up with UTSA's offense. So let's get to the game prediction. This is the most winnable of all the UTSA bowl games. I think I probably said that last year too with San Diego State. But yeah. you know, I think based on what we have right now, Last year, we kind of knew that Sincere wasn't going to be playing. So we had a better idea of what wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. We knew that Tariq was you know, right. going to opt out because he was going into the NFL as well. We had some clues. This one, we don't have any idea that anybody's going to leave. And at this point, the way we're recording, we're going to just go by nobody is going to opt out. Nobody's going to be out for this game, much like you you know, talked about earlier. So... Um, you said that you think that much like Trailer, it comes down to who's going to want to win this game more. Yeah, I mean, Trailer mentioned when he was asked about the bowl game in his um, post-practice interview that, you know, the guys seemed to be dialed in. They were saying all of the right things. But then again, that's what they said to him last year as well. Right. Um, so he seemed a little, um, I don't know, a little hesitant to say that we're, we're 100% dialed in because I think he probably was disappointed in what happened last season. So he was kind of tempering expectations. But if you listen to, you know, the interview from Kavorian Barnes, you know, he said that the team really wanted this win. They wanted to beat a ranked opponent. You know, they wanted, they knew that last season they kind of were a little high on themselves after the championship game and that he felt like it was a different perspective this season. So if that's really the case, I think we're in a good position. And I'll echo everything you said by saying I feel like when you look at UTSA, they understand that this could be an important win, at least, again, moving forward for the program. And Trailer always talks about first, right? Yep. This Getting the first bull win, even Frank's mentioned it in a couple of um, interviews where he's talked about the fact that... First bull win, first ranked opponent. Yeah. Both. He wants those. And, I mean... One of your best players is, and the key to your offense is saying that he really wants to win this game. I'm not doubting against Frank. That said, I think um, Troy's defense might be the, one of the best that UTSA has faced this season outside of Texas. Right. <laughs> Texas was quite athletic. So I, I don't see Troy being at that level in terms of P5. However, Troy is 1-2 and two against offenses that average 450-plus yards per game. UTSA averages 486.1. I think UTSA struggles early, getting those cobwebs out with like Justin Burke calling the plays, with just trying to get a feel of this Troy defense. Mm-hmm. But I think it gets rolling. I think this UTSA defense is going to take advantage of some Troy turnovers and set up this UTSA offense early on. I got to tell you, I'm going to shoot my shot here, but you know what? Give me UTSA 38 24 over Troy for UTSA's first bowl win in school history. All right. Before we go, let's talk about UTSA basketball. We'll start with the women's program. All right. They beat Idaho at home 76-69 to and improved to 2-5. and five. 
could definitely see an improvement in the defense in this game. That had been something that, you know, Karen Aston had talked about as an area that she felt needed to improve, um, that we needed to get better on defense without fouling. And for the most part, they did a pretty good job. I mean, we did have some foul issues in the game. Um, Queen Yulabo fouled out in the fourth quarter. But other than that, they, they played a, a better defensive game than we've seen before. Yeah, though I think they you still kind of see where they where they get a little careless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was a moment with Jordan Jenkins where she kind of uh, tried to reach into somebody and kind of you could hear the smack of the wrist, but the refs didn't call it, and it was just sort of a even she realized as soon as she heard the smack, she kind of froze like they're going to call a foul on me, and, and so there's moments like that where they also challenge and they kind of put up their hand late or they put their hand down and kind of smack a a wrist. And so they're working on it, but certainly something that uh, can cause them issues in the future. Yeah. um, This game, they played a lot of their freshmen. They had a queen on the bench. She came off the bench and seemed like Coach Aston feels like that might be a good spot for her. And, you know, trying to play with the uh, at least three freshmen in the starting lineup. Yeah, I didn't see like a too a problem with that. You know, it felt like they were, it felt like they just needed to kind of get going. Mm-hmm. And so that, you're right. There's like a balance between do you want some veteran presence to kind of settle everybody into the game, or do you need, you know, or do you want to go with these talented freshmen? One thing though, can we talk about real quick the fact that Beyonce was in the building, but <laughs> you know, it didn't seem like anybody understood. Not that, that Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, the leading scorer, or one of the two leading scorers on the Idaho team, was named Beyonce. Not what you would have expected for for her first name, you know. But, anyways, we heard the the coach um, from Idaho yelling out Beyonce a couple of times, and I was like, I gotta figure out who this girl is. And I heard it, but I was like, Nah, he's probably just like a nickname or something like that. So I just shrugged it off, and then you leaned over, and I was like, <laughs> That's really her name. Okay. <laughs> I right. felt like there was some jeering related to Beyonce that we could have done for the, for the to know. the girl, but you know, missed opportunity. I think we need to just uh, as we, fans. We, we figured out too far into the game. I mean, the game was almost over by the time we figured out what our first name was. So next time we're gonna have to do a better job looking at the roster and you know checking out the first names going. And then in. just lean back until the band. Hey, That's you know right. this is <laughs> this is what the, the her name is. <laughs> right. Exactly. Jordan Jenkins though had a great game. Um, she led in scoring and look forward to seeing great things from her. She seems to be learning now that teams have a game plan for her. They're double teaming her and she's going to have to play smarter and play quicker. Um, so you can kind of see her, you know, learning and improving as we go through the season. It did feel like, and I would say this metaphorically, but the wheels were turning a little bit faster this game where mm-hmm. it felt like she wasn't being a black hole in offense and just getting the ball and then just trying to do it all herself. Right. Like they're, she was literally had her head up and you could see that she was actively looking to pass off. And I think that really helped the offense get going. Yeah. Plus I think that defensive intensity at times, especially at the end of the first half, she was able to get a steal, was able to kind of go back and forth and, you know, in a two on one break with queen stuff like that going into the half, going into halftime. And that really, I think kind of helped the team, I think lift them up because they just were just neck and neck with Idaho. And it felt like, they were too good of a team to be in that title of battle with Idaho at the time. Yep. Well, next up for the ladies, uh, they will be playing UIW at UIW. 
6 p.m. on Thursday. So if you are not traveling for the bowl game, make the drive across town, see if you can go out and support the ladies. Um, they wrap up their non-conference play on Monday the 19th at Houston at 11 a.m. Both of those games are on ESPN if you can't catch them in person. I'm still waiting to hear if we'll have Transfer Center Nissa Sam Grant available. Uh, they're waiting to see if she will become academically um, eligible. On the men's side, um, they lost to New Mexico 76-94. to A little ironic that both of our teams scored 76 points in these games. One was good enough to win, one wasn't, but um, New Mexico <laughs> is a very good team. Um, they were on a nine-game winning streak, now they're on a ten-game winning streak. Um, so the men now drop to five and four. Next up for them, uh, they will be playing on Tuesday the 13th at Utah, and then they will wrap up their non-conference play at home on Sunday, December 18th against Bethune. Is that how you pronounce that? I believe so. At 3 p.m. So again, if you don't go to the bowl game and you're in town, you know, try to make it out to support the women at UIW on Thursday and the men at home on Sunday the 18th. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atos. And I'm Atos. We'll be back soon to recap our first bowl victory. Birds up. Birds up.